The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. When is a wrong number more than just a wrong number? And does it take psychic abilities, a sensitivity to a stranger's voice, or prompting from the other side to pursue the hunch that something's wrong? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. And as we look forward to 2016, I want to thank the folks at TalkZone and all the listeners for your enthusiastic support of this show. Best wishes for this holiday season and may God bless us, everyone. My friend and Arizona neighbor Janice Goff has had a lifetime of psychic and other side experiences and returns to NDE Radio today to tell us about a wrong number she dialed five times that led to what a Catholic priest later called the miracle he'd waited for all his life. Janice, welcome back to NDE Radio. Hey, Lee. How are you today? I'm fine. Uh, going through the warmest uh, Christmas season I think Maine has ever experienced. Uh, <laughs> Janice, the, the last time I was in Arizona, you told me your story about dialing a wrong number. It's it's not the story of a of a near death experience per se, but it sure raises questions and teaches a lesson as powerfully as a near death experience story might. So I said right then and there that you had to share it with our listeners. So so why don't you do that? <laughs> I, yeah, and I think you brought up the point that um, this this experience is probably really, really important because it it reminds us that in our daily life, subtle things happen, and if we don't catch them, lives can be changed drastically. Um, so I had I was younger, and I had needed to call in to work. My son was sick, and I was going to stay home, so. Anyway, I called the wrong number, and uh, I knew it when this lady answered, and um, I said, oh, you know, I've called the wrong number. Thank you for answering, and she said, that's okay, and I hung up. Well, I sat there for a second and realized there was something in her voice. It was subtle, but there was something there, and <laughs> I, I'm eccentric enough to say, okay, um, I want... I want to know if she's okay. And I let my fingers kind of find the number that I might have called, thinking I might have, you know, be calling another wrong number. <laughs> mm-hmm. But she did answer. I got the right one. And, you know, I told her, uh, you know, who I was and, you know, that I just called the wrong number and she hung up on me. I ended up calling her back five times. And, mm-hmm. During that time, some of those numbers, some of those calls, she hung up again, you know, this sort of thing. And finally, I was able to ask her, you know, are you okay? Can I call somebody for you? And she, she started telling me bits and pieces of stuff during each call. Um, she didn't have any family. She didn't have anything to live for. Clearly, she was drugged or something, something, you know, she had taken something. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the calls, actually two of the calls, the phone hits the floor. 
you know, an adult tone come, comes on, and I was really startled by each one of those calls, so I just continued to call her back, okay? <laughs> and each time I would ask her something wrong, I would just pull something out of the air to try to figure out how to get information, who this woman is, and where she at, and, you know, just some information where I could figure out how to get her some help. So I asked her about, you know, the Baptist church, and no, she wasn't Baptist, she was Catholic, and just lots of different things. On one call, I, I just, you know, called her Mary, and she corrected me and told me that, you know, this is Elizabeth, and so I'm writing all this stuff down as I'm asking her questions, and she's correcting me with the right information. Um, so finally... She was so weak that she couldn't talk to me anymore, and <clears throat> the phone hit the floor for the last time. And before that, she said, um, she was just down to a whisper. You know, she told me, she says, you'll be the last person to hear my voice. And I said, I- I'm okay with that. I'll just stay here till, till you're not. Um, so why don't you tell me about your house or, you know, some different stuff like that. Anyway, eventually the phone went silent, and I panicked and hung up and um, called the Catholic Church that was closest to me in, in my part of the world. had no idea if it was the right Catholic Church or not. Um, a nun answered the phone, and I told her quickly all the information, bits and pieces that I had. And she that was back in the days of no cell phone, and we had just a regular phone, and she laid the phone down on the desk, and I heard it go clunk, and, you know, and she was gone for a little while, and I'm thinking, my gosh, is, is she praying or what? I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I need some help pretty quickly here. And she came back and said, yeah, we do know her. We know we know where she lives. Um, we'll call 911, but she said, I don't have a priest here that can go. He's at a conference tomorrow and then I heard in the background what what are you doing here you're not supposed to be back till tomorrow mm. Elizabeth is dying and I heard a man's voice say I'll go over there right now and I just thought wow because I had already started crying um, thinking you know we're not going to get any help for her mm. um, so I didn't hear anything else. I prayed for her all that day, had her in my thoughts, in my heart. and You know, um, anyway, a few weeks later, I got a phone call, and it was the same sister or the nun from the church, and she wanted to know if I could come down and talk to the priest, the father there. And so I did. Um, I sat in that big old church for quite a while waiting on him to come in, and I'm pretty amazed I hadn't been in Catholic churches very often, and it was just pretty incredible. It was so huge and so ornate, and it was pretty overwhelming for my little mind back then. He finally came in, and we began to talk. All I really wanted to know was if she lived or if she died. And he began to tell me, oh, yeah, you know, she... She lived all right, and um, 
she told he told me that she had moved her sister. She had only one sister left out of a nursing home into her home with her. And she began a mentoring program. And he says, did you know she was an artist? She's actually a very famous artist down south. And I did not know that. So she's putting together a mentor school for uh, gifted children and to get them into that, you know, choose them for that. She was volunteering at preschools and grade schools to identify gifted children, gifted artists, and was working with other artists to put this program together. Um, I just, I just thought that was pretty, pretty awesome. And then the priest said that, um, you know, he wanted to hear my side of the story, how all of this came about. So. I began telling him about all these wrong numbers, and we laughed, you know, and <laughs> who in their right mind would call a wrong number back five times, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was pretty, pretty oh, Only you, Janice. <laughs> <laughs> so he began to tell me his side of the story. I, and I would say that this priest was in his 70s, And he told me that when he was very young, he lived in Italy, and he was being mentored to be a priest by another priest um, who was very old. And his mentoring priest had been given a long rosary by his mentoring priest. It's almost like talking great-great-grandfather stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And when... They gave him this rosary. I guess it was kind of like a ceremony sort of thing. He was told uh, all kind of things about himself, things that he had forgotten until now. And one of the things he was told was that in his lifetime, he was going to participate in an unusual miracle that would change the lives of many, many people. And he didn't have to remember it. And he said he certainly did not. (laughs) Um, But he would know it when he saw it. And he felt that this experience with Elizabeth was the miracle that he had been waiting on, that he had been told about. He had been waiting on all his lifetime. Mm -hmm. And he wanted me to know that that this had happened for him. Um, By that time, we're both in tears again. He said that it changed the way he studied, it changed the way he interacted with his congregation, it changed the way he talked to God. And I think the most important thing to me was that he talked about his own ministry and his own personal feelings about God and and his own existence and how he's, you know, he continued to do his calling all his life and felt that... Um, He truly was called to be a priest, Um, but there were many times that he felt that God had forgotten him, just like all of us do. And Mm -hmm. I guess I always put priests and pastors and people like that up on a pedestal because it seems like they should have a hotline to God if anybody does. But he said that it let him know that God had not forgotten him and that he was important in the scheme of things, <clears throat> and that his his congregation would benefit, that was that was pretty precious to me. 
um, he took my hands and he folded my fingers around the rosary that had been made in Italy, you know, how many years ago, a hundred years ago, for all I know. And he said that I and gave me his rosary. Wow. And he asked me if I had that James Christmas movie. I couldn't bring it up in time or read that book. And that was that, um, is it The Wonderful Life, Lee? Was that the name of that James mm. Stewart Christmas movie? It's yeah, It's a Wonderful Life. life. Yeah, it's real old. and It's a beautiful he, film. It really, it really is. It's very, um, it's done very well to get the point across. Mm-hmm. And he reminded me that each one of us really has no idea what the world would look like if we weren't in it. And if that wrong number had not been called, she would have died. Those prodigy children <clears throat> wouldn't have been supported in the way that she would love them. He would have missed his prophecy, <laughs> and he would have continued to minister in the sameness and live in the sameness that he always had. So, you know, it's really interesting to me how just subtle little things happen in our life. And if we're not, um, I call myself an opportunist because I try to, um, I don't try, I work really hard at being uh, aware but if we aren't aware a little bit, we can miss some pretty grand opportunities to make our own life valuable. Because I too question my, you know, my life on this earth and why I'm here and, you know, all of those kind of things. <clears throat> and then these little things pop up like this that continue to show me that, you know, I may not be specially, but I am valuable and I do serve a purpose in in the grand scheme. But I always kind of think there's this thing in the back of my mind, and I've heard other people mention this too, well, if I don't do it, somebody else will. Mm. There's always somebody to fill in when I'm not available. And so I'm thinking if I hadn't have called that wrong number, would somebody else have done that? Would she really have died? Would something else not have happened to have saved her life so that this could have dominoed into the way that it did? And my own answer to that is she might have lived, but could it have dominoed into the way that it changed the priest's life and all of this congregation's life? And I'm not real sure. I don't know that. I think fate, we're going to meet fate one way or the other. And I think something would have happened to have really startled me if I hadn't have picked up on those subtle things in her voice. And I would have called back anyway. So, you know, I'm not sure about it all. It's, it's all still a mystery to me. I, I think that, um, I think she did have a near death experience. I, I think she came as close to death as you probably possibly can get. I have no idea if she went to the other side and came back. But, you know, I know that she got close enough to death that when she did come back, she brought her gift back. 
and she was fully alive when she came back, that um, she revealed her own prodigy and her leadership abilities and her own giftedness. And she brought her sister to live with her. So she did have many, many more things to live for than she thought she did. And I guess, you know, it, it turned out to be an incredible gift for her, but it was an incredible gift for me as well to see this whole whole picture and how things unfold just from um, a freaking wrong number, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, there's something to be said for recognizing our own importance in in these things, even even when we're not. Uh, uh, it's not a clear signal. I mean, you get a wrong number, you think, oh, I'm misstyled, but you picked up on something, and that probably not a whole lot of other people would have picked up on. But it could have been too that uh, the other side was speaking through you. You know, you say, well, maybe if you hadn't done it, somebody else would. But I don't think so. I think you were the key to the situation. And uh, whatever guardian angel Elizabeth had was operating through you at that moment. And uh, one of the things that it does is it, it triggers uh, the next person's awareness that they have an important thing to contribute to. And uh, there was Elizabeth suddenly contributing to... A, kids in school and to her sister that she is now taking care of and the priest who's now more motivated to take care of his congregation. So there is a, there's a ripple effect, a domino effect, if you will, that, that really can take over in situations like that and, uh, and work toward the good. Yeah. You know, Lee, it kind of, it, it actually, when I was visiting with you about that, it brought up a lot of other things in my mind about, how we know if an event or a situation is ours or not. And if we're, if we know ourselves, we know it's ours or we know not to interfere and it's somebody else's. So it's no different from passing a hitchhiker on the side of the road. We can choose spontaneously just to stop and pick somebody up them a ride. Now, today, you know, it's a little different than it used to be. <laughs> a little richer, yes. maybe, in some minds. But we know <laughs> if it's, we can we can know, let me put it that way, if that person to pick up is ours. And if it's not, we know that they're taken care of somehow, some way. They are going to be taken care of. They're on their own fate journey. And somebody else is it's their miracle to experience, and, and it's their event to participate in. So we don't have to, you know, run the archetype of Jesus Christ as the Savior for everything in the world. We just need to know what's ours and be sensitive to what's mine to participate in mm. and not not try to grab everything because that, um, that ends up making us a martyr, you know, and... Yeah literally do use ourselves up but <laughs> we've only got time for so many quality things in our life so that's already set up if we will get to know ourselves and know how the energies and the universe work and God how how all of these things work through our own body and mind mm. 
You said something a little earlier that the priest told you that each one of us really has no idea what the world would look like if if we had not been born. And yeah. um, one of the strengths of Christianity, and I probably wouldn't bring this up except that it's practically Christmas time, is that um, the, one of the things that Christians and non-Christians honor Jesus for is the fact that if he was from God or is God, that God allowed himself to be born into the world because it may be that even God had no idea what the world was like, uh, having not lived it as a human being. And so we, you know, we, we think of that as, uh, the, the humanizing of God, basically. And, uh, then there's all this confusion about whether Jesus was God or Jesus was man or Jesus was both. But what it, what it did was it made it possible for us to relate and for God to relate to the world as, uh, as, as your, your priest friend had said. You know, he talked to me about availability. And being available um, means that if there is something that I'm supposed to do today, it will it happen. It's already, like, manifested. It's already happened. And so he kept talking about the point that, you know, Basically, when I picked up on her subtle voice that something was wrong, I had already made the decision that I was available. Mm. And I think that each one of us has that uh, choice to make. Um, we can be a hermit. We can close ourselves in. We can, you know, uh, not be social. We can not be a lot of things. But if we say yes, I will be available today to to do some work and to do some work that's beyond my normal daily office work and all of that sort of thing. That means that I will participate in somebody else's life that can encourage and support them, you know, in, and it ends up being in an incredible way. We don't even know. So all we have to do is say yes. You know, I will be available today. Now, there's uh, still time left in the show, and I was thinking, you know, we get these signs and symbols in our lives, and I talked to you the other day, and you reported that you'd seen something strange in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> right over our, our, our neighboring houses. And so perhaps it was meant, uh, since you were meant to be on the show. Maybe it was meant that you should uh, tell the audience about that. That was that was still pretty incredible, Lee. It's just so freaking big. It was like I can't hardly believe it was actually real. So one of my dogs, I have four, got me up in the middle of the night, which this particular Australian Shepherd never does, and it was 3 o'clock in, in the morning. I took her out. I took all the dogs out to go water, and I walked out to the street and turned around and come back to the house, and I had already, I look at the stars in the sky all the time, it was so clear, and all the stars, the Big Dipper was massive, it was right over the house, it was huge, Um, and I turned to walk back to the house, and all of a sudden there's this blackness over the house that blocked out all the stars. And I am, like, standing there looking around thinking, my gosh, did a cloud blow in? 
and because I couldn't, my, my brain couldn't figure it out. And I saw that it was moving and stars began to show up. But this was so hugely, it blocked out the whole freaking sky, everything above the houses. And then I began to see as it was moving a shape at the back end. It was so huge, I couldn't see the front end. It was massive. <laughs> and that's all my brain could think of is, my God, this is huge. And then I began to see it move more, and it went over the top of your house. And then I began to see all the stars, and then poof, it was gone. It just poof, it was gone. I I just stood there with my mouth open. It was like, oh, my goodness. I ran in the house and told Kenny, I said, are you awake? Are you awake? And told him what I saw. He jumped up out of bed, grabbed a flashlight, ran outside, and said, let's signal them. And I said, no. I've got too much stuff to do. I can't disappear <laughs> because these things are known, you know, for making people go away. <laughs> That's right. And he's well, like, you, no, let's beam me up, Dottie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you said you noticed the back back end of it was rounded? Yeah, it, but it wasn't like a big round something. It was more uh, oblong, like. I could see a you know, an oblong round shape to it, but it was so big that I couldn't tell how big it was. It covered everything in the sky. Did so, it seem to be very low my, to, that, to huh? the ground? Did it seem to be low to the ground? It it was seemed to be right over the house. I mean, it was it was it was so big. It was. <laughs> That's all I keep saying is this was so big. It, and, it was, and it was and, low. And tell us what Kenny said about the Hopi. Oh, he said the Hopi, you know, must be up there doing their thing, calling, you know, calling out again. Um, and, and, that, and that was a reference to the Phoenix Lights sighting, right? When, um, yes, when the, uh-huh. the Hopi were having a, a big uh, well, powwow, I guess, or meditation. Brent. Grandfather Martin and three of, of the other elders, and Grandfather Martin told me this, he said that he and three other elders were sitting naked down in the desert, down south of Phoenix, doing ceremony, talking to the aborigines when the Phoenix lights came. So, <laughs> and there's been a couple of other um, of our customers that have told me different things. One of the guys worked at the uh, uh, the copper mine down there and saw a very strange uh, little white naked, and uh, naked meaning no clothes, little white naked uh, person enter one of the buildings and he was about four foot tall, totally white and mm-hmm turned and looked at him. He was driving a truck, a, a dump truck. Anyway, when he looked at him, he he said that his mind went kind of crazy. He ended up driving his truck off the ledge of one of the big banks and it injured, but he never he wasn't right. They had to send him home and he couldn't work anymore. And that was that night it's when the Phoenix lights happened. 
Um, and there's there's been other things that have come out, you know, dear, since then. That's been a while now. So all the little stories, you know, eventually surface, and they're not written down by anybody, and people don't call MUFON and, you know, that sort of thing. But there's a lot, you know, there's a lot out there in conjunction with all of those things. Um, but I... I totally believe that your property here is on a, you know, some sort of grid or ley line or some sort of energy line of some some sort because there's just too many little things that have happened here. You've you've picked up a really uh, incredible piece of property here. (laughs) Well, I I think it's your ability to see... um that and probably you could see it in in any location wherever you were Janice I suspect <laughs> I'm afraid I'm afraid we're out of time for today though um, this has been very very interesting and the immediacy I mean the, the fact that was it Thursday night that you saw the uh, yeah. that UFO mm. yeah. I mean it, that's so um uh, I mean the, the, uh, the other story of course was fascinating but um it was a long time ago, and when you have something that's happened that powerfully, and uh, and you know, just within a days of of talking about it, it's it's really exciting. Anyway, we are we are out of time for today. If anyone wants to get in touch with Janice, feel free to email me at uh, the NDE Radio website at TalkZone, and I'll forward all the messages to her. I want to thank you, Janice, for sharing another fascinating oh, thank experience. You, and uh, if you'd like to listen to this show again or any of our past shows, um, um, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IANS, check out their website, iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>